Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, share your success story. And that's what this show is all about. I believe that successful women think differently. And by the end of this podcast, I hope you will agree. The woman you are about to meet loves what she does. As the founder and CEO of a clothing line that bears her name, a Google search quickly describes her as a philanthropic apparel designer. We're sitting here in her Boston headquarters, surrounded by cotton and satin and cashmere designs and bolts of fabric in every color of the rainbow and forgiving magic dresses that complement your silhouette in all the right places. I own quite a few. With 23 locations nationwide, this entrepreneur has worked her butt off to get to where she is today. And thousands and thousands of women look beautiful in her designs, including me. This is the story of Sarah Campbell. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so fun to be here. How did you like that little introduction? I loved it. <laughs> it's good for the. There's only one right answer, and that is, of I course, Candy. I wore one of your magic dresses for this interview so that you could see me in it. When you see your name inside a dress, when you see someone walk down the street wearing something that you created, how does that feel? Well, that's an interesting question because I'm not ever sure where they got it. <laughs> if it's a current style, I feel awesome and happy. And sometimes I run up to them and tell them, oh, I love your dress. But I'm always too embarrassed to tell them that I made the dress. If it's an older style, well, there's lots of places one could find an older dress. So I just chuckle. And when I'm in church sometimes and I see a very old dress from way back when, I'm like, I put my head under the pew and go, oh, no, <laughs> there she is. This has been a long, long journey for you, Sarah. The fashion industry is, I would say, not for the faint of heart. Is that fair enough to say? It can chew you out and it can spit you out. And that's that. Did you ever consider giving up on this dream? No. I had other people try to persuade me to give up in some of the darker times in the early 2000. It was a really rough time. I had a bankruptcy lawyer try to convince me to get on with the rest of my life and do what I want to do. And I just looked at her like, first of all, why am I paying you to tell me that? And second of all, this is my life. So I'm not giving up yet. And I just, you know, it was my gut. Boston has been your home for decades, but you are from Southern California. I am. You're a California girl. Tell me about your upbringing. I grew up in Southern California in La Jolla near San Diego, born and raised there. My father was a doctor. We had five girls, have five girls and one boy in my family. There were lots of kids to play with, lots of sisters to boss you around. Hard to get any of your own airtime. It was really fun, but it certainly taught me that I didn't want six children. <laughs> That's funny. Kind of hard to find your voice in a big family like that. Very hard. And, you know, I was in the middle, even harder. And, you know, I don't care what you say. Parents do have favorites. <laughs> so what was the work ethic when you were growing up? Oh, my gosh. It's so interesting you ask that. I always had my own business. I remember the lemonade stand, and I remember so carefully counting the money one Sunday morning and realizing that if we raised the lemonade's price to 
35 cents. We'd make 10 more cents that day. And we had to pay for all the ingredients, pay back my mother. That went into catering, and we still had to buy all the ingredients and pay my mother back. And then we had to pay for the electricity, for the oven. And so it was always a numbers game. Wow, what a lesson that was. Yeah, it was, you know, really how to read a balance sheet in a simple manner. And so there you were selling lemonade and figuring out how to turn a profit. In high school, I started to teach sewing lessons, and I came up with this little gig to do it two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon for 10 kids, and Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and of course, I wasn't declaring any income tax. I was high school going into college, and it was great. I rented the sewing machines. We did it in our bomb shelter, if you can imagine, and I taught kids how to sew. And then at nighttime, I would do the catering again, keeping track of all the expenses so I can reimburse my parents. I just always worked. I always had an after-school job, wrapping Christmas presents. I think I just have a kind of energy that likes to work. You know, I really do like to work. You are a born entrepreneur. That is what you are, a born entrepreneur. Well, that's not always good. (laughs) (laughs) Who were your role models growing up? My role models. One very important role model. I mean, of course, your parents are always your guiding lights, but... My big role model was Corita Kent. She was a nun from the 60s. Her artwork was at the University of San Diego in La Jolla, and it was inside the church we went to. And there were these big, large banners, and they're beautiful. They were decoupage, and they were collage, and they were just the 60s. You know, it was Papagallo, it was Twiggy, it was Corita, Go Beatles. It was that genre, and I was you know, uh, 60s, I was born in 56. So I was first, second, third grade years. And I just remember looking at these banners in church and just loving the collage. And fast forward, I followed her work all through her lifetime. And she was up in LA. At that point, she was an artistic head of the art department at the Immaculate Heart. She left the convent when she was 56 years old, I believe. She went in when she was 18. And she moved to Boston. And I was working in a gallery in San Diego right after college, and we had an opening of hers. I said, oh my God, Creed, I almost just moved to Boston. And she said, well, if you ever do, you know, look me up. Two years later, I moved to Boston for graduate school at Leslie College, and I had to do the life of an artist. And I called her up. It was like calling, you know, Catherine Hepburn for me. I said, I'd really like to do an interview on you. And, and we went to lunch at the Harvard Bookstore Cafe, At the end of the interview, I said, now, if you ever need anyone to do anything for you, I would love to do that. And she looked at me very sternly. She was about five foot two. And she said, how are you at grocery shopping? And that began my my mentorship, my friendship, my teacher training with Carita because I was in art education at the time. And she was an art teacher at the Immaculate Heart, had been. That parlayed into when I went to, when I finished Leslie, I went to Mass Art. She basically tutored me to get my degree in fine arts. We have them all on tape. It was about the repetitiveness of doing something where then you loosen up your real creativity. It sounds to me when you tell this story, like you just said, you know, your parents obviously, big role models for you. She changed your life. She was my mother, my mentor, my friend. I was her driver, her Grocery, grocery shop, girl. I would. I took her little postage stamp of the rainbow to the post office to mail to the 
Washington, D.C. I couldn't tell anybody that she was doing the smallest piece of work, which was the postage stamp, and her largest piece of work, of course, is the Boston gas tank. And obviously, you have recognized walking through this office that this office is somewhat of a tribute to her. These it are sure all is. her Corita prints um, through the years. I frame more and more all the time. I have quite a bit I just hadn't gotten framed, and now I have the space to hang them. But they're pretty pretty special. And it really was about, she taught me how to be a political af- activist through her work. And that's how she gave back. You mentioned when you were in high school that you were teaching people how to sew. Mm-hmm. And even at that point, you were already, you know, making some of your own clothes. You had a yep. sewing machine. Was there a click moment when you decided I'm going to become a clothing designer? No, I never. I loved to sew. That's what I did on Friday nights. And I remember my parents would go out on Friday and Saturday night and I saved all my babysitting money and my allowance to buy fabric. I didn't drive. So my sister Meg had to drive me to the fabric store and that was awesome. And I'd come home by the end of Saturday night at like one in the morning, they'd come in and I'm like, look what I made. And I loved making dresses. It's like it flows through you, doesn't it? Yeah, I really loved it. And I made doll clothes. I mean, my sister Meg taught me how to sew when I was probably four, five on the little tiny sewing machine. I have my little sewing machine in the other room. Probably something that came out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog, right? You have built a style, a brand, a look, a feel. Did it happen organically, or did you see your niche early on? No, it's something was strategic about this. I, I can't say this was strategic thinking. This was figuring it out as I went along. I mean, my biggest objective was, how was I going to pay my rent? After that was, how am I going to pay my employees? Even in the very darkest years, I didn't take a paycheck for like three years, which really married with kids, put us in the hole a little bit, a little bit of a lot. But I had this commitment to pay my employees first because I felt responsible for those families. So we figured it out at, at home, my husband and I. We survived it. I mean, it's still a bit of a dig out. And we had, you know, not so great things happen that happen in businesses. You just realize that if it's something you can do something about, you can figure it out if it's something like you know your child's at St. Jude's Hospital with a liver waiting for a liver transplant that's a problem to have that's a problem you can't solve you have to that's really not in your hands there's also a vibe to your boutiques and we're going to show pictures of your clothing and and some of your stores but here we are in your headquarters how do you want a woman to feel when she walks into one of your stores happy and good about herself about the world about herself and her life and life just feel good you've got locations from boston to florida how do you pick where you want to be that is strategic (laughs) i guess i am a little bit of a strategic thinker it's east of the mississippi because of the logistics of shipping out of boston and getting there within three days is important for our flow we have done wholesale for 30 years the next leg of our career may not include wholesale. We're in the transition period of that, which means I sell to other stores. I got to know my customer through a wholesale, and I got to know my customer very well through providing for stores like Talbot's, making clothes for them, um, private label. We haven't penetrated the South on any level, but that lady really dresses. You know, they have this saying that it's the church, the cemetery, and the country club. I throw in the cocktail party, the Four C's. You know, the lady, and I I can say this because I am one, 
from California, she doesn't dress for those events like the woman in the South or even the North or urban dress for. So it's very important that we're in locations where there are urban dynamics. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust TechHelpBoston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. You founded Sarah Campbell Designs with a determination to give back. This is a company, I like to say, a company with a conscience. Tell me about some of the causes that you have supported along the way. You know, the give back thing was always, I think I learned that particularly from my grandmother. She always prayed two prayers every night, one St. Jude and Sacred Heart. She always taught me to give to St. Jude and always give back a little bit. And then I read in my early years a lot of like uh, the man who started Patagonia and and Rockefeller, the whole story of the Rockefeller family, and they built their careers on giving back. I studied the New Testament a lot in high school, and I loved it. It was very much about this tithing principle. I didn't have any money to tithe with, so it sort of became I had to figure out how I was going to tithe and pay my rent at the same time. So that's where the, the event structure started to evolve. 1990, when we started this little retail thing, where we would love to do events and give back through those events. So it just seemed like a natural. That was way before sip and shops or any of those things that people do. And now it's, you know, it's pretty much the norm where businesses are expected to give back. I just gave back because I was just trained. That's my responsibility. I remember teaching my kids to always shop at the little boutiques and not support local business. Yeah. And they'd, I'd come home sometimes like, Mom, look what we got. We, thought you were going to the gap you said not to go to the gap (laughs) (laughs) you've mentioned your husband and the struggle of digging out when times were tough you've just mentioned your children as well how hard is it to be an entrepreneur and to have the responsibility of all of these employees all of these stores across the country and to still find some time to be with your family. Was it hard along the way? I have a really good husband who went to all the soccer games I didn't and my attention span is not as long as his. I remember one of them yelling at me across the field one time to stop reading the newspaper, stop, start watching the game. <laughs> I, I have two girls that are a year and a half apart. I'm really lucky that I did get to leave. The joy of having your own business is I did get to pick and choose when I could leave a little right. bit with more freedom. And I'm very empathetic to the moms here that when they have recitals and things, right. you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. For any job, any profession, it, it's hard for any human being to find balance. I don't think balance really does exist either. You know, I'm, I've come to a place now where I do think it takes a village to raise a child. Why would I think that I'm the only person who could be a great influence on my kids? I'm, I'm blessed that other people stepped in and helped me. Well, and I'm blessed having babies when I was 39 and 40 that we were at the position where we could afford help at home. And 
you know, she's been a huge part of our family, still is a huge part of our family. And that consistency really did make the difference for me. You are a designer, but you are also what we have just discussed now. You are a smart, you are a savvy businesswoman. Was there a learning curve for you? Every day is a learning curve. I'm not kidding you. Every day is a learning curve. And if you, for me, if I stopped learning, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be interesting. I was just talking to someone in, who does the financial allocations for the pant. I said, how come there's no extra smalls in backstock? And he explained it to me. I'm like, we didn't figure this out right. And he goes, well, yeah, I guess we didn't figure it out right. And I said, so let's just go cut some more for backstock. But it's like all those little innuendos because the business climate changes every yeah. day. It's it's learning. HR, there, that's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Where's the video camera? You should Whoa. see the look on Sarah Campbell's face HR right now. HR is a, is a, a daily, <laughs> daily education. So what is the central ingredient to being a successful entrepreneur? You can only have one thing. What is it? You have to love it. Passion? Tenacity. Passion and tenacity. Because if you don't have tenacity... It ain't going to happen. It's not going to be easy. And I think assuming that it would be easy or will be easy, just like anybody's job isn't easy. Packing groceries is not easy. I do think collecting tolls is easy. <laughs> and we don't even do that anymore. We just drive I straight I feel through. so sad for them. And I always ca carry money in my car so I could stop and talk to the toll people. I love those toll people. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Well, there's obstacles every day. The fabric that came in today is wrong. Come at it from another angle. You can't, you got to change your direction. You just got a, another set of eyes. You have to remember you're not saving lives. So that helps. You know, usually an obstacle is a, is a mistake of some sort. Maybe not yours, maybe not your staff, maybe the fabric maker, maybe customs who's ruined the boxes. You know, uh, there's so many mistakes and it's always your best item. Mistakes never happen to the stuff you don't care about, <laughs> ever. It's Murphy's Law. I remember a few years ago, we were having an interview for another show that I hosted for many years here in Boston. You walked into the recording studio, and I was wearing this really snappy little blouse. Right, yes. And you came right over to me, and you said, Oh, whose is that? Whose is that? I must have that. Okay. And all of a sudden, you took out a measuring tape, which you just did. happened to have, have in your purse. I have it in purse, my purse. Right? Always. And you took out a picture of it. Yep. What, what happened to the blouse? I'm sure it's an uh, entire line of blouses. <laughs> I should have a name on that or it something, should shouldn't I? Yes, have naming it should be rights? I think we have to create a new blouse for you. A yes. candy blouse. Yes, it will be. What's been the biggest lesson for you so far? It's a very confusing lesson because the places I've been hurt the most are the places in the situations I've trusted the most, and yet I haven't lost sense of that trust. Now, that could be a big mistake. I can't tell you that to the end of my life, but I repetitively, hopelessly trust people. It does get me in trouble. Things like leaving my handbag in the grocery cart you know people like come after me I know I know there's nothing in there don't worry about it but uh, it has you, you do have to have checks and balances around people are not always all good that's a, been a life lesson but most people are do you feel successful and what is success to you success was always very easy to define for me it was the ability to support myself 
it was very clear what success was. I think since we've had so many setbacks and we have girls in college and grad school, I wish I had no debt today. I don't know if you ever catch up when you have children, but my parents paid for my education, all my sister's educations and my brother, and I didn't have to start off with a college loan. Success. How does it feel right now at this moment in your life? You just opened up another store in Boston. What really makes me happy is to be able to create jobs in this country, made in USA. It really makes me happy to have happy employees that have a nice work situation. Everyone works really hard. We're pretty flexible. Made in America. Why is that so important for you, Sarah? It's always been important to me since the day I started, which was in Fall River, Massachusetts, and we expanded into 20 factories in Fall River. It is a dying industry, but and Fall River has really suffered in the last 10 years. It was so exciting to go into the factories and see the factory process and these mostly women working and sewing, and there was such a pulse of energy. I had no desire ever to go to China. I don't want to go to China. I wanted to be close to my product and close to the people who made it and obviously create jobs. I mean, I was brought here to be made in America. I wasn't brought here to go make it in China or wherever else. Here we are in your headquarters, surrounded by your designs, 23 stores across the country. Did you see this at all in your mind's eye all those years ago when you got started? Would that girl who got started with Karita be surprised by all of this? Karita would be very happy, and that's why this is a tribute to Karita, because I remember when we got into the black, and she was so excited. She was alive, and I was so excited to tell her, because she used to tell me the FedEx story over and over and over again about how they were in the red for how many years, don't have high expectations. So that was a very exciting time. If she were walking through this warehouse, what would she say? She would probably say, I knew you could do it. I don't know what she said to my husband the day she died, and we were dating at the time, but she did whisper into his his ear, and he still will not tell me what she said, so I don't know what her wish was for me. I'm thinking about what you must feel like when you walk in into a, a factory and you see all these people making your clothes. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I think the other part that I've I've really had to wrap my head around in the last 10 years is that the labor pool was always the most expensive ingredient in our clothing. The labor pool is not the most expensive part anymore. It's what has happened with the fabrics. All of our fabrics are imported. And if you're paying, you know, I'm just going to make up numbers, but if you're paying $20 for labor on a dress, you're easily paying $40 in fabric because you've got to get that fabric landed duty paid. It's imported. It's just what has happened to the fabric world. And I'm not buying thousand yard lots. So our lots are very limited additions, shall we say. New collections every month. Uh, they're small. Uh, you know, And so you pay a higher price. I don't know if, if I, pay a, I pay a higher price in fabric. Absolutely. Well, we're going to show some pictures of the rooms filled with fabrics. But oh, yes. my goodness, the colors, Sarah, are so brilliant. You must feel like a kid in a candy store when you're picking fabric. Well, I do. And it's very hard because... I love fabric and I love color. And We I know what you used to do on a Friday night. 
<laughs> Design your clothes with yes. the coolest fabric. That's right. And I used to buy Mary Mako fabric, which Corita also loved. And it was $8.50 yard, dollars a yard. I remember that now. Now it's probably $32 a yard. It's just fabric is like to have a white screen and then have the fabric. It's the Crayolas. The fabrics are the Crayolas that you paint the screen with. And that's how I look at it. I, I need to be able to move my fabrics around without it being, you know, a lifelong commitment of a red wall. The fabric and the color is really where the artistic endeavor is. There's three parts to this, and I love making our customers happy. And mostly that's about making them feel pretty and good in their what they're wearing. The customer part is pretty awesome, too. Well, let me tell you something. When I open up my closet, <laughs> And I look at my, my beautiful Sarah Campbell dresses. They're always what I want to wear most. To get you and they're one. what make me feel good. Well, you're so beautiful. That's not hard. Put a bag on you, Candy. I'm sorry everyone can't see you. Thank you so <laughs> much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story? <laughs>